0: Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I am super excited because we've got an awesome guest on the line this week, all the way on the other side of the world, and I'm actually going to see him present live at the Idea Convention next week, time of recording anyway. A little bit about this person. He's the CFO at Funtensity, and by CFO, I mean he's the Chief Funtensity Officer, He's a brain fitness visionary and possibly the world's first astrophysicist fitnessist, if I can say that right. Um, he's got an online, he's author of an online course. He's an international presenter. He's a workshop instructor. He's, the, he's a former ace personal trainer of the year. Uh, and the most, you can obviously read, tell by his bio that he's a very smart, intelligent man, but the kicker for it all that shows how intelligent he is, he's married to an Australian woman, which shows that he's got a lot of uh, smarts about him there. So without further ado, let me introduce the one and only Mr. Jonathan Wright jonathan how are you well
1: th- i'm doing very well thanks for that intro i like to tell people uh here in the states where i live that uh they, you know that saying ha- happy wife happy life i say aussie wife happy life
0: i <laughs> <laughs> love it all right well we're going to be speaking today mainly about brain health brain fitness brain training but before we get into that jonathan let's let the listeners know a little bit about you who are you where are you from what do you do And what the hell is Astro Fitness Assist?
1: Right. I'm going to keep this super brief because anyone listening to this, I want to make sure this is relevant to you. This isn't about me. This is about you. And firstly, I thank you for giving me your attention and even listening to this because we all have a lot of options and things we can listen to. So Astro Fitness Assist is just just my... Humorous way to say that I, I, I like a lot of people got a college degree in a field that I don't want to have a career in which my <laughs> college degree is in astronomy and I turned that into a fitness career so I might be the world's only astro fitnessist that's where that comes from but a- more uh, deeply I guess my fitness journey now I'm, I'm in a 25 year fitness career and honestly it was be- it was begun uh, principally by my experiences with my father he died in 1995 he was um, a little over 200 kilos at the time, and I was 24 years old and I, I just graduated with, a, with an astronomy and physics degree, not really like sure I, what I wanted to do, but I know I didn't want to do that as a career. It's still like an area of interest, but we have a lot of hobbies we don't want to make careers out of. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, and, and when he died when I was 24, being that heavy and just sort of seeing how unhealthy he was living, I was personally beginning to get healthy myself at the time. And it lit a spark in me or gave me the, the idea to think about fitness. And when I did think about fitness as a career it kind of made my, the hair on the back of my neck stand up like nothing ever had before when I thought about potential careers. And it really gave me the indication that, oh, that's where I should go. It was like my little inner compass just started pointing there. So I began studying. I got certified by ACE and um, started uh, shortly after 1997. When I got certified, I started in 1998. And I started with a whole plan of making fitness more accessible to everyday ordinary people, just, just to people that are out there just trying to go about their lives and find a way to fit fitness into it successfully. That's my main mission. And then about, I don't know, 10 years or so after I started my career around 2008, 2009, my, I like to sort of humorously say that my brain became self-aware and wanted to learn about itself because I just started getting into a, a heavy curiosity with brain fitness. And it began with, um, I, I guess, really Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and like kind of what are they and why do we get them? And then it kind of morphed into also how we make decisions as humans based on emotion. And that when, even if we think we're rational beings, we make our decisions mostly based on emotion. It's the primary motivator for our decision-making and as a trained scientist and all that, it was a big, like, wow, it was a big, you know, 180 for me in terms of how I was approaching coaching my clients. And then also this, this idea of the playfulness that I remember as a child, uh, I was outside playing all the time. I live in a part of the U.S. that has all four seasons. So we get snow, we get sun. So I'd, I would have snowball fights, I'd go sledding, but I would also have squirt gun battles and climb trees and play tag in the summer. And I just do all that kid stuff, just running around outside. And that was my happy place. And I remembered that being with people and being physical and getting tired out in nature with people was my happy place. And I brought and I started to bring that sense of playfulness, like, well, what can that do for us as as people in terms of brain health? And I found that it's actually quite powerful in terms of the effects that it has, both in the short term and the long term. So these these four areas, the kind of the motivational aspect, the emotional aspect of it, our decision-making, the Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and then the fun and playfulness all fused together. And then in 2017, I launched my Funtensity program, which does exactly that, which brings the idea of fun and playfulness to high intensity interval training so that people are not focused on how hard they're working, they're focused on the fun. And then that sort of grew into more on the prevention of brain disease side where I um, put out the Alzheimer's and brain fitness specialist course just a few years ago. So I hope that wasn't too long, but I want to give people a little bit of a journey through the last 25 years for me since you asked, that's why I do what I do
0: that's great well you summarized 25 years into about 2.5 minutes so that's uh it's pretty impressive there. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there we could do a podcast just about that but I think we dive into the specifics and we'll expand out some of those things there we can probably start either way here Jonathan because it sounds like it's quite related in terms of the fun side of things and also the brain health side of things is that I guess that's my first question is and just give me a yes or no there and then we'll I'll, we'll, we'll direct from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When you're having fun, you're in a positive and open emotional state. You're more receptive. You're more hopeful. You have an expansive view of the world. And that puts you in a state where you can actually derive more of the physical benefits from exercise. So one of the things you'll see in the research is that if you're exercising grudgingly, if you hate it, you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. It it creates a kind of a stress response. And that stress physiology makes the benefits of exercise slightly less available to
0: you. Mm, Okay wow I want to dive into that as well before we do which way do you want to start Jonathan should we talk about how to make exercise more fun or should we talk about brain fitness or do we meld them together what's better for you
1: well that's uh it's a tough question let's start with the fun side because I'm okay. sure, I'm sure there's people that are probably a little bit dubious about this, this idea because there's a lot of people out there in the public and also in the fitness industry to think if it doesn't suck it's not going to work if it's not you know if it's not miserable it's not going to be effective and that's that that's a little bit of a misconception and certainly it's a barrier to entry for fitness for people in the public. So maybe let's start there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, let's do and I'll just I'll just give my quick two cents here as well. That I think it's important for the listeners. I feel like it's very different the mind of a trainer versus the mind of a general public. I feel a lot of people listening to this probably love exercise already. It's probably fun for them to get up and lift weights or whatever. Whereas for the general public, that's not always the case. And that can be I could do a whole podcast on that as well, but I'll I'll hand it over to you. That's just one thing I wanted to throw in.
1: That's so true. It's sort of a, I kind of view it as, I mean, having been a leader in the fitness industry now for many years and met many new trainers and, and having been one myself, and I knew what it was like to sort of have that journey of being an ordinary person. And I didn't come at this from an athlete perspective but just also seeing many people get into the industry. There may be athletes that then just say, Oh, I'll do fitness for a career. And they do love it and they're good people mm-hmm. and they're well-meaning, but they don't always have an understanding of what it's like to live as a very unhealthy person for a long time. And the difficulties right. psychologically and physiologically that that presents. And so it can create difficulties for communication. It's almost like you have people
0: mm-hmm.
1: from two different countries or two different planets, even trying to yeah. speak a similar language when, when their whole ecosystem is almost very different and it's a, yeah. uh, it is a bit of a learning curve, um, but it's one that's very worthwhile, and it also opens up a lot of opportunity to help the people who need our help the most.
0: Mm. And I'll just add on that as well, because the other thing I find, I think a lot of the time um, as trainers, we can think that we're very like, hey, we get up early and we train every day and you know, it's just what you have to do kind of thing. But I feel that's so much easier if you love it. Like as a trainer, if you love exercise, it's so much easier to wake up at five when it's cold and raining outside and go and do it. It may not be that you're super motivated. There's obviously the element of that as well, but it's a lot easier if you enjoy it. So that's yeah, Absolutely. I think that's something to consider. But all right, let's let's get into it. How do we make exercise more enjoyable for someone that um currently doesn't enjoy it?
1: All right. Well, I'll start with with kind of touching on something you just identified, which is that think it's easier to do things when we like doing them sounds so obvious, but we kind of make exercise almost not intentionally. We don't do this intentionally as an industry. It's almost like we're in this world where we, we love the way things are presented with fitness. We don't mind because we already love it. So the fact that it's off-putting to people doesn't really bother us as, as members of the industry or, or exercise enthusiasts, but someone looking at it, it's just like, Ooh, that's not for me. And if you're the old saying time flies when you're having fun Mm. almost never applies to fitness. People are like, how long is that class? (laughs) When is it over? The other thing is that this is super important for everyone listening to this who is a fitness professional to realize uh, no one is born naturally hating physical activity. Now Mm -hmm. there are naturally varying degrees of how much we like it, but there, there are no fish that are born that hate water. And that's a way for us to understand it, because physical activity does so much for us in so many micro and macro levels in our physiology and just our mood and our mindset. That we can't be born not loving it, but there's to certain degrees, some people don't love it as much as others, and then people can have bad experiences growing up, and then Mm -hmm. society and culture gets in our head with what we should think and feel about exercise and how it's this chore you have to do to get in shape and you have to lose weight and you have to fit into this ideal. And so it becomes a negative. It's a learned response. And if we can transform that emotional response to exercise. So for many people, if you just walk ar- around on the street and randomly ask people to do word association and you say exercise or fitness, they're going to think of some images that are probably not very favorable or positive or appealing. But if we can change that emotional response where they they, they have an enjoyable experience, they can they can lose track of time so one, one thing you'll notice that when you're in a fun state, you don't lose or you do lose track of time. You don't have a sense of the passing of time. That's where time flies when you're having fun comes from. But more specifically, the practical application of this, I've distilled this down into four key elements that we need to have to make exercise more fun. And the first is going to be reactivity. Now reactivity is something we're always using. We're just not consciously aware of it. so that if I throw you something, you have to catch it. And, and if I and if someone bumps into me, I inherently want to right myself and maintain balance. Mm-hmm. We can use some of these strategies in that we are taking sensory input from the outside world and then producing an appropriate response physically to perform. That's reactivity in a nutshell. It kind of happens below our conscious awareness. We're not really aware necessarily that if someone throws something at us, we reach to catch it. It just happens. Mm-hmm. So that's that's helpful because if you, if you, if you give people an exercise where you're tossing a medicine ball back and forth, it's, it's inherently obvious to try to catch it. You don't usually have to teach that as much.
0: Mm. So
1: some of this we're already doing. So, but going out of your way to make sure you put the reactivity in is important, but it can also be different forms of reactivity because we have eyes, we have ears, and we have a sort of a a proprioceptive system that senses where our body is in space. So we can push and pull on each other. You can put someone in a plank and push on them a little bit and give them little reactive taps, but you can also say things or make noises or call out odd or even numbers and have someone lunge to the right or the left. So there's some quick examples of how to use reactivity and then a second key element is coordination, where we want to have a little bit of coordination and challenge, but not so much that someone's getting frustrated, but not so much that it feels too easy and they disengage. Mm-hmm. So most people out in the world will say they, there's three things they don't have, and it begins with A, B, C. They don't have abs, they don't have balance, and they don't have coordination. Those are three things I hear all the time. Everybody's got some coordination because we can walk and text at the same time, and some people <laughs> can even try it while driving. So we've got some coordination. We want a little bit of challenge to coordination, but just enough that it engages you, not so much that it overwhelms you, but not also so little that it disengages you. And then the third element that we want is friendly competition. So we want to have this sense of competition because many people find that they are Motivated to win, of course. That's the obvious form of competition. We've got the type A people. Mm. We don't need to talk about those because everybody that, that's what everybody thought of when I said competition. Mm. But there's a second type of person who likes to think of competition in the framework of, I enjoy it because I'm competing with others. There's a, Mm. I'm part of a team. I'm belonging. We can win or we can lose, but if we have fun, we compete together. There's just as many people that are motivated for competition like that. So if you make a competition fun rather than just about the winning, then you have an example of that. And one of the exercises that has become iconic for the Fontensity program is the rubber chicken foot toss. So I started using rubber chickens as a way to (laughs) say, I've got rubber chickens, but I've also got medicine balls and heavy ropes, and I've got some things that are more traditional fitness equipment blended with some things that are a little bit weird and unusual so that it creates, okay, this is different. When someone sees it, they know something different is going on, but just imagine that you have two people facing each other, and one person puts the rubber chicken on top of their feet, and they kind to jump in the air and kick it with their feet to the other person who then catches it with their hands and puts it on their feet. So, when I do a boot camp or a small group session, these are always people are always paired up in two in the fun intensity program. So, we have one person throw the chicken to the other. I have different ways of creating a competition in a circuit where you, I might do, if, if we're doing four sets for a time to work interval, I might say, okay, uh, count your highest number of consecutive catches. That means catches without a drop. Or I might say something like add up all four sets your total number of catches and then that's the highest total of catches for that team of two and we see who, as we go through the circuit we see who gets the highest total it's just a fun little competition it's not anything really intense um, some people do get intense with it but it's all, everyone's laughing everyone's playing so friendly competition is the third big pillar for having fun and fitness and then the fourth one is um, pretty self-evident now B- given that I said it was competition. It's actually social connection and interaction. And you actually get some of this in a one-on-one training session because if I'm a trainer with a client, mm. it's not truly a social relationship, but there's a social component to it. So I am interacting with that person and they may chat tell me things about their day. There is some social degree of benefit to even just having a one-on-one session, but when you put people in a group or what I do in the Fontensity program, the normal workout is always partners. So you have two people working together And the interesting thing is that the people that I have who say they hate partner work are often some of the ones that end up liking it the most because what they don't like about partner work is the way it's typically presented Mm -hmm. in that they they just work next to someone and they're doing the same movement, but there's no real interaction between the two. They're not dependent on each other for success in the exercise. And yeah. so that if you, if you make it so that the two people are actually interacting either physically or visually or verbally, so there's that reactivity between the two people on most of the exercises, then they'll have a better experience. But they'll also find that the partner aspect of it, because it's interactive and it's truly interactive and they're dependent on each other for success, it becomes a better experience. So to summarize, those four key elements for keeping fun and fitness are reactivity, coordination, friendly competition, and partner interaction or social interaction.
0: Love that so much. So I will share my take on that. So I used to run a boot camp, Jonathan, and initially I used to suck at it because my background was exercise physiology. I could tell you all about the physiology, all about the anatomy, but I just did and I loved exercise myself at the time. So for me it was just like, well, you go to a boot camp and you do squats and lunges and push-ups and you do it for a minute and you do a circuit and you love it. And I found out pretty quick that's not too good for the retention side of things. So I did some some digging and I actually came up with my retention formula, uh, which I put it down to three things. I originally thought it was results. If I can get people results, they'll keep coming back to my bootcamp. But I actually think it's these three things. Number one is how much fun they're having. Number two is how much they, how well they get along with each other. Number three is then how much they like me. And then number four is results. And I found if I could hit those top three, if I could get people coming in, having fun, um, interacting with everybody else and liking me, they would come back firstly they were more likely to get results because they actually came but even if they didn't get results they were more likely to keep and by results i'm talking about weight loss and you touched on this earlier that's like one minute thing one minute benefit of exercise and exercise isn't even the best way to achieve that so it's kind of like even if these people didn't lose weight if i could get them exercising three times a week just because they were having fun liked each other and and got along with me that's a massive win so uh, that, that's con- yeah that's the way i look at it. and even looking at these things i implemented a few of them i wasn't i wasn't able to articulate them as well as i can as you can sorry but as i'm reading through this i'm like oh that's why that drill worked. That yeah. that's why that drill yeah and I'll, I'll give you a couple specific examples here so reactivity right i used to run a lot of amraps i'm sure you're familiar with what an amrap is 20 20- here's yes. your exercises go for 20 minutes do as many as you can there's zero reactivity. If you're doing that on your own, there's zero reactivity in that. And I, I did a few of myself and I was like, ah, this is a bit boring. What can I do? And just a couple of things that I implemented there, I would set off like, for example, a two minute timer and I'd be like, right, here's your 20 minute AMRAP. But every two minutes, my timer's is going to go off. And when it goes off, you've got to do two burpees or five star jumps or whatever it is. And just that little bit there, I found massive differences. And then I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to add something else in. I'm just going to walk around randomly. And because I found the timer was good, but it was still a bit predictable. It was still kind of like every two minutes here, you get it. But I was like, every, uh, every uh, at random, I'm just going to go and tap someone on the shoulder. If I tap you on the shoulder, you got to go and do 20 battle rope slams. It could be this person, that person, this person twice. Maybe you never get it, you know? And those little things there I see as reactivity. I think that's great. Um, the coordination one, this is what I understood there. And this is how I think I implemented when I ran a boot camp. was kind of like if you've got – let me think how to put this. Uh, okay, let's say you've got total beginners in the class and you try and get them to do clean and jerks. They're not coming back again, right? Um, but if you get advanced athletes in there and you just get them to do a squat hold. Right or a push or a plank, they're probably not coming back. So you got to right. kind of look at your audience and be like, "All right, how can I um, push these people a little bit in terms of difficulty without turning them off?" That's that's what yeah. we're saying coordination wise, right?
1: Yeah, it's just it's it, it's that classic example of um, when you have the heightened amount of focus. It's when you're challenged just beyond current capacity. Yeah, if you're challenged far in excess of your current ability. You get demotivated. Yep. Like if you don't know how to, if, if you don't know how to dance yet, you go to an advanced Zumba class, you're yeah, not familiar. Right? Yes. If it's, if it's too easy. Then you just, then you're not engaged. So it's that if, if my abilities are here and someone takes me here, I'm engaged and mm. I'm into it. Yeah, you're right. Love I'm it. Um, um, oh, yeah. to highlight what you said. I'm going to guess, I'm probably 90% sure this is the case, maybe even more so when you implemented that program of going and randomly tapping someone. And when you did, they had, they'd have to go do 20 battle rope slams. You, you, if you probably noticed this, and I'm I'm not sure if you consciously noticed it, but if you think back to it, you may have noticed everybody was working harder during the normal part of the exercise. Yeah. Especially after the first time you tap someone, because when you said it, maybe they didn't really process what that meant or they didn't take it seriously. But then when you actually did it, mm. every time you came near, it just made everybody work harder. And that's because mm. of the uncertainty. When there's uncertainty, we're on it edge and when we're on edge we're kind of like paying more attention mm-hmm. so if you randomly even clap your hands and then someone has to change what they're doing the mm-hmm. fact that there's a random trigger means they're going to work harder it actually is a sneaky way for fitness professionals to get people to exert more effort without trying to push it out of them
0: mm-hmm. that's great i love it um okay friendly competition i love this one and i think the important part there is what you mentioned friendly and also the different levels of competition because yeah, I think it's those type A people that always want to win anyway, they're going to do it regardless. You know, you're going to be running yes. any exercise and they're going to try and win it. But I feel if you only cater for those people, that can turn the other people off. Because if oh, you're
1: not... 100% well. Yeah.
0: 100%. If, you're not, if you're not the fittest person there and you say, right, you know, we're going to do a a run and let's say you can do it the quickest or we're going to do this, you know, CrossFit workout and see you can do it the quickest... Yeah, that's great for the type A, the people that want to win it, but the people that aren't competitive, yeah. gone. Yeah, so I think that's great, and I like the team side of. And I'll give
1: one more example that yeah, uh, one can use as well. Um, usually, the intensity workouts will be circuit based with partners, and, and you rotate through the different exercises. Now, I'll say that if you want to start using some of these, and you teach a boot camp or any kind of group stuff, don't go dumping eight or ten brand new exercises yeah. on your people, yeah. and. and Anyone watching this, you can go see some exercises at the Funtensity website. Just go to Funtensity.com and look at see it. And then there's some video links. You can watch it actually an entire circuit workout that had a 360 degree camera film it. Right. Uh, you can also see some of the games and competitions, but you can also look at social media and see some of that stuff. But one quick example of how at the end, so it's partners during the workout, but at the end, it's typically a competition and it's a game and it's usually not just partners it's teams Mm -hmm. and there's one i did called a medicine ball snowman relay race where you have three people and have three different sized medicine balls one that's bigger smaller and then even smaller and they have to they have to each hold one of them and they have to figure out how to run past the line and back holding their medicine ball snowman that they built so they have to hold it together as a team of three and so it's a relay race but if any one person Mm -hmm. tries to type a their way through that they're going to leave their they're probably going to leave their teammates behind. So there's this cooperation and coordination, and it's completely ridiculous. So like mm. it's it's not something you can full on sprint and do. But everyone is laughing and they're figuring out how to hold the balls together and stack them up, and it's 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 super fun.
0: Love it. Well, I'll share it's a couple. Huge. Yeah, well, I'll share a couple that looking back now I was able to implement there because uh, another because yeah I found that when I was running boot camp, one of my favorite games was scissors paper rock. Simply, you're in partners, you know, scissors, paper, rock, loser does five star jumps. You know, go again, scissors, paper, do it a few times with people. I love that because I felt even if you weren't the fittest or the strongest, you could still win because yeah. it's complete. It was complete luck. So I feel that's another way to get someone who's not the fittest to get some competition in there without even really needing a skill. So I, I like that. And then I like what you're you doing.
1: New- you don't have to teach them anything new. They already know how to. Yeah. Play. People already know how to play rock paper scissors.
0: Exactly. And the other thing I like what you said there was the team side of things because I think it is very um, a lot of people, a lot of trainers that run boot camps will run a lot of partner work, but it can be very similar to just like you know, like F forty five. There's a lot over here. It's like all right, great, you're in pairs, but you're essentially just doing your own workout with someone sitting yeah. next to you. And look, that's probably better than nothing. It's better than not even pairing up. You at least meet someone, maybe say hello, whatever. But I think there's also a difference between partner and team. So I think that's great if there can be some some team stuff in there. Um, and social, yeah, social's great as well. I think that follows on there. One thing I found with social is I'd always just do some sort of a high five. And might have changed a bit now with COVID. But either way, like um, you know, if you're pairing up, it's not just pair up, right? Pair up, give this person a high five, introduce yourself. I found that was massive just the difference between that, that physical touch. And you, you, I don't know if you can, if that, if that's a a component to it, there's your research found, is there a difference with a physical touch versus a non-physical touch?
1: There is. I mean, I'll say this, I'll go pretty hard on this one because um, I like, I haven't done research. I'm not a researcher. I'm definitely a practitioner, but I can tell you that physical touch is essential at all phases of life. Mm. And uh, I know people are sometimes sensitive to it, but we've just got to, I don't mean to be too forward and say we have to get over it, but to yeah. some sense we do because we're starving ourselves of something that enhances our emotional health and our physical health. It, yes, in appropriate ways and everybody has to get yep. permission and all. That. But if you want to make a serial killer, take a baby and never touch them. Yeah. Like a, almost hundred times out of a hundred. That's a guaranteed way to make a serial killer. And they're finding now that um premature babies, when they're born, instead of the old approach of keeping them in this case and it's sealed off from the outside world, they're giving them actually skin-to-skin contact with their mothers for up to 22, 23 hours a day where they're just wrapped around the mother. And it's greatly enhancing the survival rates from nothing else, just in having that skin-to-skin contact. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it's more essential for babies, but at, at, at all phases of life, by By nature, humans, to varying degrees, of course, are social creatures. Even if we tend to be a little bit more introverted, that means we just need time or we're not around people. We still do need time around people to maintain our physical and emotional health. And physical touch is a part of that. So we have to um, ease people into that if they're not as comfortable, maybe do elbow high fives or something. But just... uh, And, you know, have um, have people push and pull on each other with a towel between them. So there's a little bit of separation. You can sort of ease people into it. But actually getting some physical touch back into fitness, especially because, you know, it's absurd to think that coming out of COVID, we're going to stop touching people. That's just that's a Mm -hmm. silly, silly notion. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not born of science. It's just born of fear. So we got to kind of ease people back into getting a lot more physical contact. And that includes even in the um, context of exercise as
0: well. Love it. Awesome. All right. Let's transition, Jonathan. So we've got some really good tips there on how to make our sessions fun. Where does this fit into to brain training, brain health?
1: Nice. Well, that's the that's the kind of the last five years. I've been super excited about that, putting it all together and and transitioning from okay, let me make exercise more appealing to people, but let me also explain how uh it can develop brain health, both in the short term and the long term. So think of it in terms of if you do anything of a physical nature that's not just completely grueling, like you go for a walk or you just uh, knock around a pickleball, kick around a soccer ball with friends or something, or you toss around on a football. And, and yeah. you, I was going to say
0: pickleball, we don't, you, cricket ball, you meant to say, right, instead of pickleball, right?
1: Pickleball, right, yeah. Pickleball, <laughs> right, yeah. So you you just feel better afterwards. And that's not an accident. Most people feel better, even if you do a solitary activity, like go for a bike ride, mm. or maybe you go on a paddleboard, a kayak, or something. Get out in the water, just just get out in nature and move. You feel better, and that's because we're wired to need physical activity. And and when we do that, we send a lot of oxygenated blood through the brain, and and it actually helps the brain function a little better because it needs it needs a regular supply of new energy because it uses about twenty percent of our calories. It's a common stat that most people know. And in the context of exercise related to brain health, we now know that all exercise is good for brain health. So if you do anything and it's good for brain health, whether it's aerobic training, strength training, whether it's stretching, there's some degree of benefit for brain health. But by including some of the elements that I identified earlier, which were in the context of just fun, those are also some of the things that make us have to pay attention more because of them. Things coming at me or I need to hear something and or if you're going to tap on me and then I have to go do 20 battle rope slams I I have to remember that that's the key so so that that when I get tapped on I go do that I have to have a short-term memory so I'm I'm getting a short-term memory challenge if there's any coordination challenge now I'm challenging my coordination system my brain's ability to learn a new movement and get better at doing it And if I'm doing that in the context of of other people, I'm actually getting more of a brain health benefit, both in the short term, so you'll leave the experience feeling like you have, you have more clarity of thought, your mind is more clear, you're better at problem solving, but then in the long-term exercising in general, at all, in any way, shape or form, will be better for long-term brain health. But if we add those elements in, it's even, it, it kind of enhances the brain health benefits of exercise. Because when we do these things, We're creating a response that challenges the brain to process information and then produce physical movements as a result, which is actually going back to just how we became the advanced species that we are now. So we were, you know, a long time ago, hunter-gatherers, which is a lot of information processing. So we were... We were, we were hunter-gatherers, and we moved a lot, and we had to for survival. And Then we decided to get into agriculture, which means we stayed in one place, but we still had a lot of physical labor, and we had to figure out how to rotate crops and plant for based on where we are on the earth and, and all the different seasons and accommodate that. So there's still a lot of movement with mental problem solving. So these two things of movement with mental problem solving are inextricably linked And they are the path that got us to to the successful place as a species that we are today. So if we take that away, we're depriving our bodies and our brains of what got us here. So we are setting up ourselves to have disease and dysfunction because we're moving away from what inherently brings vitality and connection between our physical self and our brain, because you can't really separate the two. Anytime you're doing physical activity at all, you're using your brain to a certain extent. But if you use it more, even using some of the strategies that I talked about, you will enhance brain health, both in the short term and long term. And you get a bigger boost of protective brain chemicals from exercise that's done with some of those reactive elements, with coordination, with some friendly competition, with some playfulness and partner interaction. You boost the brain chemicals that are produced that help protect the brain from damage.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so I got a couple questions around. I'm just trying to wrap my the head around it myself. Sounds like um, what you're saying here, Jonathan, is let's say you someone was like, "All right, right. You know, I want to definitely work on my brain health. I want to prevent cognitive decline. Any exercise you do will be good." That's kind of the the base level there if you can insert reactivity coordination friendly competition social competition that will make it even better so it's less about like all right right you know if you want to have a healthy brain you need to do you know 20 minutes of cardio a day and three heavy um you know strength trainings a day or or what's your kind of take there do we need to include okay. that stuff specifically or do we just do we include that stuff but make sure we have the reactivity coordination friendly competition or what's what's your kind of take on that side of things I guess the question's more like a traditional yeah. fit principle programming versus a bit more fun density style
1: well it's a it's a very important question and and it impresses me that you were keen enough to kind of figure that out enough to ask. So the key thing in terms of the business angle on this, which you didn't ask about, but I'll get back to the direct answer. But I'm making this relevant for anyone listening Mm -hmm. who works in the fitness industry. We are right now seeing a tremendous changing in the percentages of the population, especially in almost every country in the world, but especially in places like Australia and the United States the concentration of the population that is getting older is getting larger and larger. So the percentages of people that are older are larger. And and this is a demographic that is keenly motivated to to be concerned with brain health and they have disposable income to hire fitness professionals. So this is a very relevant market to be able to speak to so that when you're dealing with brain health in this context, without driving yourself crazy, figuring out what do I have to do? The big factor on top of it all is the enjoyment factor. So if you say someone hates a certain form of physical activity, we don't want to be recommending that or we want to help them gradually enjoy it. So we have to get people to do things they enjoy. Firstly, secondly, in terms of going back to what I talked about, our journey from hunter gatherers to to stable agriculturists to now, you know, completely sitting all the time, uh, not exercising much unless we have to people that journey. If we think about all the different components of movement that we had to engage in, you have agility, you have balance, coordination, endurance, flexibility, power, strength, mobility. And if you look at those, and if you can, if you imagine making a table that has all those in there, okay, I've got agility, balance, coordination, endurance, flexibility, mobility, power, strength.
0: Perception, um,
1: maybe speed, you know, just kind of make a list of all the human physical characteristics of ways that we can, ex- we can express movement. And if, if you're doing activities, whether they're exercise or just something recreational that kind of ticks off those boxes of all those different categories, at least two to three times a week, you'll be doing the best you can for brain health because I really like simple solutions for pe- people, especially when I'm talking to the public. So I don't pay, oh, I have to do two days a week of yoga, two days a week of this. and da, da, da. No, what you have to do is just figure out, OK, if I do something like running, for example, just to run on a treadmill, OK, you're going to get endurance. You have some agility, some balance, some coordination. Now, if you take that on the trail. Now you've got a little bit of reactivity involved. And you've got some agility because you have to. You're going to have to react to very rapidly and unpredictable terrain from step to step. So now we're adding some other elements, but all those other ones that the, that the run on the treadmill gets you are still there. And if you look at your movement week, if you've done two to three times of agility, balance, coordination, endurance, flexibility, mobility, power, strength, speed, all the all the different characteristics of of physical fitness, if you've put a, two to three ticks into boxes across the week. You're doing fine for Brain health because you're doing all of the different things that the brain can tell us to do as humans. Mm -hmm. You're accessing all the different ways that the brain creates movement in the body. You're kind of touching all the different areas that will keep you a well-rounded physical fitness person as opposed to doing just running and yoga. And then you don't do the strength training or doing just the strength training. You don't do any endurance work. Kind of missing something if we do that, not just physically, but also for brain health. I hope that makes sense. Just taking a big wide view of all the things we do as humans physically.
0: Yes. No, makes sense. Um, Okay. I don't know if you know the answer to this one, Jonathan, in terms of brain health or cognitive health or um, like, um, yeah, in terms of brain health, cognitive health, where exercise fits compared to some of the other um modalities that have been suggested over the years I I've heard doing crosswords and Sudoku's, learning a language do you know if if those things are still beneficial or if if exercise is better or what's your feedback there
1: they are but if again it's really easy if we keep thinking about now how did we do sudoku as hunter-gatherers right <laughs> we didn't we, we we solved problems while moving
0: yeah gotcha. so if
1: you want to do Sudoku puzzle. Do it while you're on a stationary bike. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not optimal, but you're being physical while problem solving. That's the key is not separating those two things, because there's I think it was around 2018. There was a research study that looked at at doing simultaneous, which is called dual tasking, where there's some cognitive challenge combined with a physical one. Mm -hmm. There was better brain health results or better um, sort of cognitive test scores subsequent to that for the people that did the dual task training, which means we're integrating a cognitive and physical challenge at the same yeah. time versus people who did concurrent training, where is I did my physical thing and then I did a brain challenge.
0: Yeah. Boring, they, right. So I on, brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I went on the treadmill for 20 minutes thinking about absolutely nothing and then did a crossword for 20 minutes. It's yeah. You're still getting both in, but it's not the same,
1: but it's, but it's but even that is still better than not doing either one of them at all. So there's a, there's a whole spectrum here. But if you can, if you can fuse those two things together and do them at the same time, it, because that's, that's just going back for 10,000 years or more of human history. That's what got us here. Mm-hmm. It's problem solving in our physical environment. With things that were very relevant to us and they're related to survival so yes it's good to play brain games and it's good to do puzzles but it's also and it's also good to exercise but if we can figure out some ways to fuse those two things together and this doesn't have to be super complicated mm-hmm. like sometimes when i'm doing a heavier strength training workout which i mean there's not really a lot of ways to fun tensity that so what i'll do is if i'm taking say a minute to rest between sets Sometimes I've got two different balls. Like one's just a tennis ball that I just took a Sharpie and wrote numbers on it. I'll bounce it, bounce it, bounce it three times. I'll look at three numbers and I'll add them up in my head quickly. I'll just Mm -hmm. short-term memory those three numbers. I'll just do that while my one-minute timer for rest is going off. Mm -hmm. I've got another ball that's got numbers on it. It was was sort of purchased that way. It's designed for this, but it's got some flat surfaces on it. So it's a ball and it bounces a little bit unpredictably. So there's a little bit more reactivity involved, but I can play the same game with that just as a way to to, to insert some brain challenge while I'm physically letting my muscles rest uh, in between heavy sets of a, something like a deadlift where, I, so I'm still doing the strength work, but I'm integrating some, so I don't have to sit there and scroll on my phone. I can actually do something that is That is involving reactivity, coordination, thinking, short-term memory, then go back to the heavy strength work. So there's lots of different ways to do this stuff.
0: Mm, That's great. Awesome. All right. Well, Jonathan, you're a mentor for plenty of fitness professionals out there. Uh, I'd love to hear who your biggest mentors have been on the topics of either brain health or making exercise fun. And if you could answer this in a few different ways. If you could give us uh, a paid mentor, maybe a course that you've done or a a conference that you went to where you learned a lot from, Uh, an unpaid mentor, someone you haven't done their course, but you follow them on social media, you listen to their podcast, and you think they're pretty good at the topic, Uh, and a book that either you read or you recommend every personal trainer could read that could um, help them with these topics. So mentors, paid, unpaid, book.
1: Okay, so uh, paid is is probably going to go back a ways. Where um, some people that have been in the industry long enough may know this name. Uh, I don't think he's currently doing any mentoring, and it doesn't have anything specifically to do with brain health. But it was a guy named Phil Kaplan who I was uh, I was in his mentoring program probably in the early two thousands, right as I was starting to hit my stride in the industry, uh, and and just some of his concepts around how to sell personal training because. You know, none of us get into this uh, because we're salespeople, right? We don't uh, don't usually get into fitness because we're salespeople. And it's sort of—I don't say it terrified me. I just wasn't good at it. I was focusing on on the the outcome, not the process, and not—I I wasn't thinking of the state someone's in, and and that's kind of like what their concept of fitness is first. And so he helped me a lot. I know he's not really doing any formal coaching anymore. He does still do some things in the industry occasionally, but that was a, a paid mentorship program. I helped um, so unpaid, that one's a little tougher. Cause it's, cause, you know, as you start wandering out into the world, you, you you start to make the transition from someone who absorbs information to someone who sends it out, you start getting influenced by people, but it's a lot more subtle. There's not a big person that jumps out in there. Um, so let me come back to that one, but a book um, now, this is a somewhat old book It's like old meaning 2008 or 2009, <laughs> but, and I think it's only available in, in ebook form now. But, and I'm mentioning it because it's, it's not one that's talked about commonly. And it's also one that lit my fire for this idea that Alzheimer's and Parkinson's are not primarily genetically mediated, which is something that was not talked about at the time. And th- these, those two diseases in particular are mostly lifestyle and environment related. They're not mostly determined by your genes. Uh, and it's a book called Save Your Brain by Michael Colgan. I have the hard copy because I got it in 2008 or 9 when I was sort of at, at the uh, nascent phase of my sort of interest in brain health. And that's the book that really lit a fire under me because I was starting to. Based on what I read in that book, I realized that there's we we have a lot of control over the outcome through what we do physically, through what we eat, through 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 our sleep, through our nutrition, uh, through how we spend our time in terms of our social activities and stress relief, and and those are some of the biggest factors in terms of long term brain health. And so that book's called Save Your Brain by Michael Colgan. Um, I actually tried to send someone there a few months ago. It's not in print any longer, but it is available as an as an ebook. Um, so that's now as as, far as the unpaid mentor, I'll have to go back uh, and mention someone named Robert Sherman, who is has done a lot of, he did a lot of work with Reebok University. And I was only directly under his, his, his sort of um, mentorship for maybe a short time, maybe half a year or so, but he's local to me. So I was able to stay connected with him. And um, he gave me confidence at a time I really needed it. For a very short while early in my career and so and and he's done a lot of work with schwinn cycling and like reebok over the years he was one of the reebok university master trainers if anybody has been in the industry long enough that they remember reebok university when that was a thing Um, but uh it was er early in my career and he just happened to be taking over the personal training director position at the club i was at and I was a newer trainer, so I was at the lowest tier, and this is U.S. dollars in 1999 or maybe 2000, just to give everyone context. So we had three tiers of pricing. It was $35 an hour, $45, or $55, and I was at $35 an hour as a new trainer, and he was interviewing all the staff because he didn't know us. He was brought in as from the outside, and he was interviewing me, and I'd been to one or two of his workshops, so he knew me a little bit, but not a lot. He was in- interviewing me from talking to me, and he, he, and he was setting everybody's rates after his Assessment of the trainers, and he put me at the highest rate. Oh, wow! And I just and I remember Senator "I said, Robert, I've only been working like six months." And he goes, "He goes, well, do you feel that what you do and the way you do it is worth the higher rate?" And I and I stopped for a moment and I said, "Well, yeah, I do. I do feel like I deliver fifty five dollars an hour of quality." And he goes, "Well, that's why I'm putting you at that rate." Mm. And it kind of. Kind of gave me that confidence. I, I needed to hear that from someone because it's it's hard to get started, especially when you're a big club and there's 20 trainers and you're the newbie and you're, you know, just just trying to find your footing a little bit. So uh, I'll say that was a that was a pretty um, transformative moment for me to hear that from him, who's someone I respected, think that I had I had it in me to be put at the highest tier of trainers.
0: That's great. Awesome. All right. Well, Jonathan, that's pretty much all I wanted to get through today. Um, there's going to be a heap of people listening to this that's like, all right, this guy's cool. I want to follow him. I want to learn from him. I want to maybe do his course. Where do we go to follow you?
1: All right. You can check out Funtensity.com. Um, and that's also social media. So all the stuff I talked about with Funtensity, you can find all the Funtensity social media, just F-U-N-T-E-N-S-I-T-Y. More broadly, sort of things that are not related to Funtensity stuff. My handles are Jonathan Ross Fit, my first name, last name, and then just add the word fit to it, uh, kind of cover some other bases. Occasionally you'll find some personal stuff on there too, but it's uh, I'm, I'm pretty much eat, sleep, and breathe fitness and, and just have a passion for it and helping others both in the industry and also the people we serve. Uh, so those are the main ways to find me.
0: Awesome. I'll put all those links down in the show notes along with the link to the course as well. Uh, Jonathan, anything I should have asked you but forgot to? or anything you wanted to finish us off with?
1: Um, there's nothing that you should have asked that I uh, that you didn't, that I can think of. But I'll, I'll just say, um, in order to stay relevant in the fitness industry, because we've got a lot of competition from things like free apps and free this and free that. Uh, and, and also don't be too enamored with the boutique studios as a solution for the masses. I have nothing against them, they're fine. But they're too expensive to be a realistic fitness solution for everyone. And if you, if you truly zig when other people zag, you'll have success in this industry. So going after the market that no one else is going after, the sort of overweight, obese, or just everyday people, and the people who are maybe needing brain health is sort of serving the older population. Just avail yourself of whatever resources you feel like you need to, to start to have some success and to have the confidence in, in that you know everything, or you don't need to know everything to do something. That's an important message that I have, because I... I know a lot of passionate fitness professionals feel like they never learn enough. And that just means you're always learning and that's good. But I want you to have the confidence that if you learn, if you learn enough and you're cautious, just that cautious attitude alone will prevent you from making 99.9% of the mistakes that uncautious and cavalier trainers will make. So sure. If you, if you look into my Alzheimer's and brain fitness specialist course, which you'll see the link to, and you find that useful. Great. If you find some other resource, great. If you, if you just, understand that moving forward we need to serve just the ordinary everyday people and also the aging population a little more effectively you can also carve out a nice successful path for yourself in this industry that can that can help you truly make it a career and one that doesn't work you to death
0: <laughs> love it awesome all right jonathan thank you for your time
1: you're welcome thanks Chano. thanks for having me and uh thanks again everyone for listening to this and i hope you found something valuable in it
0: Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans?